Welcome to Bob Says and Banthas, a podcast about Disneyland, Star Wars, and all the other things that Disney Company owns that we love. On this episode, we get the opportunity to sit down and chat with Disney Imagineer, Universal Creative, author, artist, and Jungle Cruise skipper, Chris Merritt. We're going to discuss Chris's experience in and out of themed entertainment, his mentorship by Disney legends, and how it came to be that Chris wrote the definitive book on one of the most influential figures in Disney history, Mark Davis. My name is Scott Storm, and with me is my brother on the mic, Aaron Robbins. And without further ado, let's get right into talking with our new friend, Chris Merritt. Chris, thanks so much for coming to Bobsons and Banthas. We are thrilled to have you. Yay, welcome. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much. Great to, great to uh, get to meet you guys and know you guys a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. So thank you for asking me on. Oh, well, yeah. So uh, this, has been a, uh, this has been a process that we've been working on for about six, eight months at this point. Yeah. I remember reaching out really? to you. And, has uh, it just, been that long? I wow. really I think it has been, uh, but it's the perfect time to have yeah. you on because uh, we're just yes. so thrilled to be able to talk with you about your career, uh, but then also just touching, ba- in, touching back on uh, Disney history and your involvement in, with Disney history, your, your touch points there. And really with sure. the release of The Jungle Cruise coming out right now, it seems no better time than to be talking about aspects of Mark Davis and his designs for The Jungle Cruise and how that influenced you and your yeah. career as an artist. So we're going to get into yeah. a lot of things and we'll try oh, to get through it. I'm excited. I just learned that Emily Blunt went on Jungle Cruise for the first time the other day, and I just learned that Chris <laughs> Merritt was a Jungle Cruise skipper. That's news to me. I like, know. I'm learning great. a lot of things yeah. this week, and I'm pretty excited about it. So, I mean, I think that's a, you know, we always like to start at the very beginning. It's a good place to start. Yeah. And so, so Chris, <laughs> why don't you tell Chris. us about where you grew up? Are you a Southern California kid, or did you find I, yourself over to Southern California at some point? Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i an Orange County kid. Uh, grew up in Southern California uh, in the 70s, which was a, a great time, and and a great place to, to be a kid. And I was really fortunate because, you know, back in the seventies, uh, they were still doing, um, tickets, you know, individual tickets for yeah. the attractions, yeah. the A through E I'm sure at Disneyland. most people know what I'm talking about at Disneyland and at Knott's Berry Farm too. But yeah. growing up in orange, in orange County, we, we had annual trips to Disneyland and Knott's, but I got to go, I think quite a bit more than most people because my father, was a news anchor for a super, super small television uh, studio, closed caption television studio in a retirement community called Leisure World, that you may have heard of before. <laughs> That's meta. And That's so, like if, so if you've seen the Will Ferrell uh, film, uh, Anchorman, yeah. like, you know, it, it was kind of like that in the 70s. <laughs> but, but like, but, but the, the studio literally was like the size of a bedroom. I mean, so, but the practical upshot of that was that, uh, my, my father got, uh, we certainly weren't wealthy. Uh, and my father, we couldn't afford to go to Disneyland all the time. Uh, but my father got free passes and press passes, yeah. invites to press premieres. So I, as a little kid got to go along with a lot of those. So I really had mostly specifically Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm on the brain. I grew yeah. up with them. They're part of my childhood. They, they meant and mean a lot to me, you know, to this day, certainly influenced me greatly and then also you know eventually you know i realized that i wanted to do theme park design so that's how i fell into that so growing up uh as a kid in socal and having access with uh, you know media invites but do you recall anything uh any any special experience that you had you know attending with your dad as a result of these press passes like a a premiere or something like that anything that sticks in your mind that way yeah, the two big things that really stick in my mind. So I, I would have been like five years old because that's when Knott's Berry Tales opened. But at Knott's Berry mm-hmm. Farm, you know, in 1975, 
they opened the Roaring Twenties section, and as part of that, Knott's Fairy Tales, uh, which is actually the the subject of my new book that we've been working on with Rolly Crump yeah. Um, yeah. since since last year. It was kind of my COVID project, which is still going, um, but. I was in kindergarten and I got to go to this press premiere for it and I got to ride Knott's Berry Tales. And I remember coming home the next day uh, in kindergarten and actually drawing like Crafty Coyote and the Weird Wood scene. So for those of you who know Knott's Berry Tales and the story behind it, that, those are some of the characters from the yep. ride. It made such an impression on me that I went to kindergarten the next day and did these drawings of it. And I, you know, and I, and I, I showed these pictures to Rolly Crump later, and he's like, "Oh my god, that's crazy." Um, <laughs> Rolly yeah. has become a friend of our show as well, and so uh, oh, we good, love any good. story that involves Rolly Crump. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so that's one. But then the, I guess the other big press thing that I, I was able to weasel my way into, and th- this was really nice because it was just me and my dad he actually took me out of school for the day for it was, uh, the 1980, uh, 83. Yeah, no, it was, is it 82 or 83 of the new fantasy land? It's gotta be 83. 83. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I got to go to the press thing for that. And that was amazing. The whole, the whole press booth area was set up at the Tahitian terrace, which I have a great love for the original Tahitian terrace. And we had um, a dedicated uh, tour guide with us the whole day that took us around oh, and, wow. you know, got us on, you know, didn't have to use tickets. We got us on all the rides and, and my dad filmed the whole thing. So I'm this obnoxious, obnoxious 13 year old kid. Um, but really like, you know, so it's kind of funny and it's also incredibly cringeworthy to, to watch that <laughs> video of me. But what a pivotal but writing, writing this. Yeah, I was uh, say, just, just just riding all the rides yeah. in the Skyway, but also seeing the new Fantasyland and seeing and remembering what the original dark rides were like in the, you know, before the new Fantasyland and, and how Tony Baxter, and his team really fleshed them out. And it might have that might have been the first time I, I knew the name Tony Baxter, yeah. which is kind of amazing because, you know, I got to work with him right. later when we did the castle walkthrough. Uh, but that was a really that was a big one for me. Yeah, and I've still got the press kit and all the the, the badges and all that. So I saved all that stuff because I'm a pack rat. Uh, so those made a bit both both of those made a big impression on me. Well, and what a pivotal moment that must have been too, because you're 13. You know, so you have grown up with Fantasyland being this thing, and now mm-hmm. you were being invited to the grand unveiling. I believe it was the second time yeah. in Disney history they dropped the drawbridge in order to welcome you know kids through uh, yeah, that's into the say. new Fantasyland. Yeah. And, and so what an interesting experience that must have been to be 13 at that time to say, mm-hmm. this is what Fantasyland was, this is what Fantasyland is now, yeah. and then to know some of the creatives that you would end up working with in the future, yeah. and then being able to talk to them about your experience experiencing their Fantasyland. That's what I think is amazing, because people don't like, people don't know, at like my age at 13, I was in love with Disneyland. I didn't know actual human beings built it, though. I thought, right, it, exactly. I thought it was like superheroes from a different planet <laughs> got to work on it. Yeah. I didn't know people's names. I just think it's fascinating. We hear over and over again that, that, that people around this age become aware of like, this is a job that people do, right. and, you, and they have names, right. and I have a name. Right. So what was that like right. for you? Yeah, that, I mean, it was, it was just interesting to, you know, so I, I definitely, I think I knew Tony's name from that, but going back even further in the seventies and then, you know, this came out, you know, when the original pirates opened, they used to sell this souvenir guidebook and the souvenir guidebook is kind of this classic, uh, uh, souvenir. <laughs> uh, but what was great about the pirates of the Caribbean souvenir guidebook was number one, it was loaded from, uh, you know, from front to back 
with Mark Davis concept art. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who Mark was at the time. Lots of photos of the attraction, but lots of concept art and a lot of pictures of the Imagineers at WED, which for your guests who don't know, that's what Imagineering was originally called. It was called WED, which stood for Walter Elias Disney. Uh, lots of pictures of the Imagineers at WED working on Pirates of the Caribbean. And it showed, you know, Blaine Gibson sculpting models yeah. and showed Mark Davis drawing and, you know, uh, I believe Colin Campbell's in there and uh, Claude Coates is in there and Exitensio. And it's, it was, it was kind of like, Oh, it, it's exactly what you describe. I'm like, these are real people yeah. who make these right. things yeah. and that's a job and that's a career. And that's really interesting. It's but, like, you know, it's like getting that, a baseball program yeah. and taking a look yeah. at those, those <laughs> professional ball players and going like, I want to be that one for the of these rest days. of us. It's baseball cards yeah, for, the rest, for the rest of us. Oh, for those who, coats, man. Yeah, exactly. And to be able to look and identify and say like, Oh, that is something that is attainable. And that's one of the things I think Aaron and I talk about together right. on the show. And whenever we get a chance to talk with an Imagineer, is that it's for us growing up not in Southern California, it right. it almost dawns on us too late that this is something that you could do mm. at some point. Mm. And so I wonder as you as you were growing up, starting at thirteen, having a love of Disney, was this something yeah. that you pictured yourself doing? Was art something that you always knew you were headed for, or how how did that work? How did the, the how did well, you're not a TV anchorman? <laughs> yeah, how come right, you're not an anchorman? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I thought about that at one point. No, I. First of all, just talking about art, I was always an artist from the time I was a little kid. I was just always able to draw. And so that's, you know, that's, that's just a skill that I've had that I've, you know, that I've worked at for sure. But I've, I'm, I've been fortunate that I've been really good at, at um, I've been really good at copying styles. Mm -hmm. So actually, you know, I, I probably would have been a, a decent assistant animator because I'm good at lifting a style. And actually, one of the ways I, I learned how to lift a style was I spent a lot of time uh, in that pirate souvenir guidebook copying the Mark Davis drawings yeah. Yeah. and, and, and the amazing Sam McKim uh, fun map of pirates that's on the end pages there, which is uh, just spectacular. And I can't say enough. I, I love Sam McKim's line so much. He's got such great, the ink, the, you know, his paintings are absolutely amazing too. But there's something about his line, his pen and ink work is yes. really, really speaks to me. Well, and you replicated so, that for uh, Tom Sawyer's Island. Uh, yeah, didn't, didn't you draw yeah. the map for Tom Sawyer's Island at one point? Yeah, for the uh, for the Pirate's Lair overlay. Yeah, I did. And I purposefully did that. But even before that, just, you know, sort of as a fan, sort of as part of my portfolio, like I did. I did a nature's wonderland map. You can find it on online in that style. I actually did. And then I did a... Um, there was a fanzine that I'm, I'm a big fan of that I actually helped, you know, work on um, back in the 90s called the E-Ticket magazine, mm -hmm. which is an incredible resource because uh, they were kind of the first magazine to really document the Imagineers and, and the design process behind theme park design. But I did a I did a fun map for them of the submarine voyage. So so from an art standpoint, though, I always just liked drawing. I, I was always kind of good at it. I wasn't thinking at that time specifically there are people who do this work and I want to do that yeah. work. I wasn't at that. I didn't actually get to that point until I was in college. I was just kind of obsessed. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and so that's, you know, so Tom Morris and I have share that bond. I mean, you know, Tom as a little kid got on an airplane and flew to Florida <laughs> know, for, you know, by the himself. opening of Epcot <laughs> by himself, that crazy nut. Uh, but, but you know what? But like, if I could have done that at that age, I would have totally done that. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think you just get really, passionate about something and you get kind of obsesso about yeah, it. Yeah. And yep. so 
I, I want I want to get into uh, Jungle Cruise skipping uh, in just a moment, but sure. you said something that I think sure. is just really uh, instructive. I think it's really wise and helpful for uh, our young listeners that are artists, and I'm thinking in particular of my my oldest. My oldest son is mm. is an artist, and I'm always trying to encourage him to uh, to understand what other people's art styles are by copying. And he feels like that's a cheat. Mm. He feels like, well, it's cheating no, if I'm copying you can, somebody you, else's no, art you style. Can, no, yeah, you can learn so much from doing that. Even, even I remember, what was it? Oh, what was I working on? Oh, I was working on um, The Little Mermaid Dark Ride with Larry Nikolai, who's a good friend of mine, who was the creative director on The Little Mermaid Ride. And he was reviewing some drawings I did, and I, I was using a lot. Like drawing Ariel is really, really hard. <laughs> why, why <laughs> Larry is makes that? it look easy. Why is that? Yeah. Because it's a human character, and she has a very specific look, that look that Glenn Keane uh, uh, gave to her. And so it's any of the human female characters. And this is one of many reasons I'm such a big fan of, of Mark Davis is the draftsmanship that's the draftman's ship <laughs> that is required to, to draw those characters. You have to have really high draftsmanship to, yeah. to be able to do it. But, but anyway, where I was going was um, Larry was reviewing some drawings that I, I had done and he said, Oh, did you trace this one? And I said, Oh yeah, actually I did. I traced that face off the model sheet because I couldn't nail it. And he goes, that's, he said, that's fine. It's perfectly okay. Hmm. You know? So, so even, so, even as professional artists, that's uh uh, yeah. that, that's a, that's an element of continued learning and and uh, yeah. honing your craft. Yeah, and I, and I, so I think copying and tracing while you're learning is perfectly valid. I mean, it's, if you're creating something new from out of whole cloth, you certainly don't want to plagiarize someone's work. But if you're just trying to learn fundamentals, I think that's completely valid. So you're you're right to tell your kid that. Uh, there's no good segue of getting into the Jungle Cruise from there unless you can think of one, Aaron. <laughs> no, I mean, I think... I had more questions about what it was like to grow up with the TV anchor dad and whether or not you saw him on TV and watched him and what yeah. you thought about that. Was that something? Well, I, no, I, I couldn't because um, Leisure World uh, was and and still does have a uh, closed circuit network. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So I, so I couldn't watch him in the morning and I probably would have, you know, growing up. And yeah. I have a few videotape, you know, copies of, of him doing his show, which is hysterical. I mean, he's got you know, the wide anchorman tie and the floral print and all it's, it's crazy. How and, and I, and I, yeah. and I did get to go to the studio with them sometimes, both m myself and my brother. And we got to like be on the cooking show at one point. Oh, that's and, awesome. And he's like, what he's was like it? the John Beard of a retirement community. <laughs> he must've been like, yeah. he must've been like the most, the most well-known celebrity in that retirement community. Oh yeah. So we, so it's, it's this, there are two leisure worlds. One's in seal beach and one's in, um, they call it Laguna Woods now, but Laguna Hills is what they called it when I was growing up. And uh, the the Laguna Hills Mall and Shopping Center, if we would ever go there, the the older people who lived in the community, they would see my dad and they'd go, oh, oh. You know, and I, <laughs> I remember amazing. one time, one, one lady came up to him and, and said, oh, oh, I saw you on TV this morning and I really liked your blue suit. Yeah. <laughs> and my dad and my dad just very quickly went, oh, and it was so great to see you in your pink bathrobe. And she went, oh, oh, yeah. I have a pink bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he is, no, that he was, is Ron Burgundy. You're yeah. describing Ron Burgundy right he, he now. Kinda, he kinda, yeah, he kind of <laughs> is a little bit. Um, so, that, so that was really fun for me, but I, I didn't actually get to see him because it was yeah. only for people in leisure world 
So maybe yeah. take this into the Jungle Cruise. A lot of a lot of kids go to go to Disneyland, not any theme park, and 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 it's really just about the the motion of the attraction, the thrill, the the ride, and, and it seems like there are some group of people where there there's something where they connect with the story behind it. I don't know if that's the scale, the magic. When you mm-hmm. ride pirates, you're you're in a different world, but it seems like you're you're one of those people that connected with the story and the scale and the theme just beyond that. Like, oh, we went down a drop. How, how, what yeah. do you think about that growing up? I, I, what was I think- it? I think for me, even more so on the Jungle Cruise, I connected with the animals because I do remember when I was really, really little asking my parents saying, you know, are those hippos real? And, you know, them kind of teasing me and saying, well, what do you think, you mm-hmm. know, Chris? And I, and I think there was some part of me that knew they weren't real, but some part of me thought maybe they maybe they yeah. actually were. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I just... I, I don't ever remember not knowing about the Jungle Cruise or Disneyland, but so, but Jungle Cruise was a big favorite of mine growing up. And then, you know, by the time I was, I was a teenager and had a car and, uh, you know, had just graduated high school and was going to community college and, you know, knew I wanted to transfer to, to what would be Cal arts eventually. Um, I always kind of had that fantasy of like, well, I'd like to work on the jungle cruise, you know, like I kind of thought about like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go apply and if I can get on the jungle cruise, great. And if not, I'm not sure I'll, I'll take the job just because I wanted, cause I knew that the pay was going to be minimum wage yeah. or, or close to it. And, you know, it was more of the experience of doing it. It was, it was I, should I say it was a fantasy? I don't know, but I just, I yeah. grew up with it. And I just thought that would be a really fun ride to do. Of as, course, you know. of course. Yeah. So, and, and it, and it was, it absolutely was, it was, I think one of the most fun jobs in the park that you can have. And, it, and it's really interesting. And, and one thing, you know, looking forward to, to, to being a theme park designer and, and Imagineering, I think people who, who come from working at the park, working in the trenches, as I'd say, I think I almost feel like that should be a requirement if you're going to be a, a designer uh, yeah. with Disney, just yeah. to get a sense of what is it like from an operational standpoint? What is it like from a guest perspective? What is it like actually working on these shows and seeing what the guest, what the guest sees and, and working to those ends? You know, there's some people who come in to the world of theme park design and they might be a, a really good artist, but they don't have a lot of, um, they don't have a lot of real world experience that they can bring to it. They don't have a lot that they can relate to. And I think working on the, in the park level is really important. Is it I because mean, people, like, people like Tony Baxter worked in the park, yeah, right? I right. Mean, and, and it shows. Yeah. Do, you, do you think it's, that's a result of, uh, because at some point, at some point, blue sky has to come down to reality. It has to be realistically mm. implemented and people have to be able to yeah. have, experience and ops need to be able to meet their numbers like do you think that's the reason why or is it just because there is a difference of being uh being a cast member and and seeing how guests react to the theme park experience and that is something that you could only learn by being in the trenches or is it a combination of both i I think it's a combination i think all of those things are valid that you just said i I think you know, it's great to do blue sky and it's great to come up with wacky, possibly undoable ideas, but at a certain point you have to hone into reality and having and being cognizant of, of what those operational requirements are is, is important. Um, you know, I remember I was, I was working for, for universal doing universal studios, Singapore. And we, uh, it was really, it's really sad because it actually got canceled, but I, I was doing this Kung Fu Panda 
uh, ride uh, that I was really excited to do. Dark anyway, ride? A dark we, ride? We, uh, it, it started out as a dark ride and then turned into kind of a big Thunder Mountain Railroad oh, wow. sort wow. of a thing. So yeah, so I, some of the, I put some of the concept art on some of my social media. If you dig through it, you'll find it. But um, I remember meeting with some of the animators at, at DreamWorks and having some some story sessions with it. And I remember some people saying, yeah, you know what? Well, you go in this room and like you see Poe and there's an explosion and then he flies around and he gets on your vehicle and 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 I'm and I'm going what and I'm going what are you talking about? <laughs> what like that's like you know like this is not an animated film. This is reality. <laughs> there, you know you like what do you you know or explain to me how you know so I, I think working at the park level having some some sense of what's feasible, what's not. You certainly don't want to have limitations and say you can never do something. Sure. I mean, you look at you. I mean, you look at something like you know, Rise of the Resistance, which utilizes three different ride systems to make that whole show work, and that's incredible. And if you would you you'd ask me if that could work, I would think, wow, that's going to be really a, a tough, a tough road to hoe. But um, they did it. So so I'm not saying limit yourself. I'm just saying you, you need to be aware of of, yeah. of these sort of operational needs. And then to your second point how the guests react, how the guests yeah. interact. And then, and then this is something I feel like I, you know, maybe I'm jumping ahead too much, but I, I learned from Mark Davis in terms of staging a scene and then his philosophy and what Mark claimed was Walt Disney's philosophy about designing a Disney show, not trying to put an overly complicated narrative in it because people aren't going to get it. Right. The, be- the best, the best Mark Davis and all the Mark Davis scenes are the best because Mark was great at what he did. But, but again, talking about the, you know, you talk about the jungle cruise, you think about the sacred elephant bathing pool or the trapped safari, um, you know, some, some of these things that he designed so well, or the, you know, the gorilla camp, it's the vignette is so specifically done. It's staged so perfectly well. It's an instant read and there's not some big complicated narrative that you have to get behind it. Some, some people and, and some writers, unfortunately, seem to think that you need to have this really complicated backstory and this complicated mm-hmm. narrative. And that's not what makes a good show. You're in an attraction, you're in a vehicle, you're moving through space. You have sometimes a second to read a gag or a, a scenario or a tableau and you can't stick with it. It's got to read instantly. You got to get it. You got to get the joke if it's a joke or whatever the situation is, because you're moving on to the next thing. It, it, this may, it may feel like a crude comparison, but as you're describing this, uh, it, it reminds me of like Gary Larson in the far side, right? You get one mm. panel to make your, make your joke and have your impact. Uh, sure. and, and I was reflecting on that this, this morning, uh, I was flipping through, I was showing my, my, uh, 10 year old daughter, the uh, Mark Davis in his own words, and she was flipping through oh. the book, and you know, uh, sh- she's just entranced by all of these, uh, all of these conceptual sketches of these gags that are just being able to be conveyed in one or two photos, or uh, one or two right. illustrations, and that's it. And yeah. and I think yeah. you're right. Like it's this, uh, it, it's simple, it's simplistic and effective storytelling that does not need this deep backstory because it has to be instantly recognizable. Right. And this is something that that Mark shared with me that, you know, he said, Walt Disney told him, he said, you know, you can't do this complicated thing because if someone misses it, then it would be akin to 
coming into a movie theater and seeing the second reel of the show cut out, you're missing something. Yeah. You can't, you can't set it up in an environment like that where you've got this complicated stuff that people have to know, you know, as much as, as much as I love the Indiana Jones adventure, cause it's an amazing attraction. There's this really complicated backstory about looking into the eyes of Mara and don't look into the eyes of Mara because everything will be bad. And they try and, and they try and reinforce this throughout the queue and I would say, you know, probably 85% of the guests don't get that yeah. or not cognizant yeah. of it. It doesn't really, because it is a bit of a complicated storytelling point. I'm not saying that that ride's not successful because it is, it's an amazing attraction. I, I love it. It's not successful because of the story though. It's successful because of the environment. Yeah. And the I just think the motion. So, so, yeah. So trying to answer what you were saying about how, how the guest experiences something, how the guest relates to something, what you see. And I can't think of actually a better place to learn that than the jungle cruise sure, yeah, because the jungle cruise is kind of the nadir of really well-designed, instantly readable, in most cases, hysterical vignettes and tableaus. And Mark Davis was behind most of them. So. Well, and I was going to say, I mean, you, you had the experience of, of uh, floating past those tableaus thousands of times. And yeah, so that yeah. must have, that must have subconsciously created some sort of impression on you that then yeah. it, you know, took with you as you went to Cal arts and then began your career as an artist uh, and then ultimately meeting up with, with Mark Davis and then, yeah. and then using Mark's style as you developed, uh, the next iteration of the jungle cruise, there's so much there to unpack. Uh, and mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I would like to talk about your transition over into WDI, what yeah, that looked skip like too much. Mm -hmm. I don't Take us from jungle <laughs> cruise to, Ca to Cal arts to WI. Cause I, I want to yeah. hear, I want to hear that. Story Aaron, Aaron will spend, Aaron will keep you for an hour and a half. I'll be at good. Cal I, arts I just, right now. We'll just go from jungle cruise <laughs> skipper into how do you end up uh, take us from jungle cruise skipper and how do you end up at Cal arts? Okay. So, um, uh, and I'm sorry, it was just, not called Cal arts when you went there. Was it, so, did it still have a Chenard name attached to it or what? what no, was it? it was, no, it was, it was called Cal okay. arts. I, th I think they changed the name in the seventies. Um, okay. Take us there. Yeah, but I, uh, let's see, uh, I worked on Jungle Cruise in 1989 and 1990. And so, but by, You've by totally the, been my skipper. <laughs> <laughs> I might've been, you yeah. never know. Um, I, I went to CalArts in the fall of 1990 uh, for character animation, which is what I thought I wanted to do at that time. And in 1989 is, is actually when I met Mark and Alice Davis. And, and the way that I met Mark and Alice was I was also in community college at the time. And I had to write a paper on a modern day artist. And I had discovered by happenstance. So th this is a little sidestep, but it'll explain it. When I was working on the Jungle Cruise, uh, they had just opened the Disney Gallery when yeah. it was located above Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. And so on my breaks, um, I was fascinated with the concept art. And I remember going up to the Disney Gallery and they had a whole section of Mark Davis artwork, a, a lot of his Jungle Cruise artwork, actually. And I remember seeing it and I went, oh, my gosh that's the guy like that's the, that's the guy in my pirate souvenir book like <laughs> yeah. this is and this guy's the best like this guy's line is the best yeah. his staging is the best it's so cool so i decided i wanted to do a paper on him and but i didn't know him i didn't know how to get in touch with him so i just sent a letter up to the walt disney studios and just said would you please forward this to to mark davis for me and somebody did. Wow. And I just said, Mr. Davis, I, you know, I'm writing a paper on you. I'd love to meet you and interview you if you're, if you're willing. And he wrote me back to my wow. shock 
and surprise and said, yeah, come on up and you can meet me and my wife, Alice. So, you know, my, my dad and I went up there, uh, for the day and we had the best time and, you know, recorded him and I wrote this little paper on him and, and I just felt like I want to keep this friendship up because I'm so amazed by, by both, by both Mark and Alice, everything they had to say and, and share, you know? And so it was amazing for me at that time. And then of course I shared with him, I was, I was, trying to get into Cal arts and character animation. And then I did, and he had some advice for that. He looked at my portfolio and he, and he destroyed my portfolio. Yeah. He just like, you know, <laughs> I, I just like, just made me want to cry. He was so critical of yeah. it, but, um, but it was actually a really good thing because then I went back and redid certain parts of it. So I got in to, to character animation, uh, obviously was not working at Disneyland anymore, but then the really cool thing about it was, I was closer to, to them. They live in Los Angeles. And so, uh, you know, CalArts is in Valencia. So I was able to drive 20, 30 minutes south of school and go have lunch with them every, every couple of weeks and, you know, go to the Tama Shanter or, you know, go to Alphonse's or, or they, they really liked, <laughs> they liked what you would think of as like 1950s dark, um, Lots of booze, lots of <laughs> very, uh, very woody lots, feeling, like uh, d- yeah, dark lo- woods. Yeah, lots, yeah, lots of meat. Um, you know, <laughs> servers in uh, Celtic maiden outfits. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so, but, but, you know, it was, it was really cool because I was able to go. You know, Mark, tell me about doing the Enchanted Tiki Room, or tell me about doing the Haunted Mansion. How did you come up with these gags, and how do you structure that? And so for me, that was like mind blowing. Uh, you know, I mean, you wrote the the prototype for Mark Davis in his own words, and uh, and yeah. I just there's such a beautiful poetry there. Yeah, well, it it was it was. I, I'm so grateful to to both Pete Doctor and Alice Davis and Wendy Lefcon at Disney Publishing. Not just getting behind this book as a celebration of his work at Imagineering, but also doing this massive two-volume set. It's almost 800 pages. I mean, and it's amazing. It is also like it, it can double yeah. as a murder weapon. It's a fantastic yeah, read. Right. <laughs> like if you want to, if you want to give yourself a hernia, you can yeah. carry it around for a while. It is an amazing yeah. book. I mean, it, you know, I, we're sort of jumping all around here, but I mean, yeah. your, your and Pete's work on on Mark Davis in his own words is. Uh, it is a love letter. I mean, it it just shows just how cherished y- your view of this artist is. Well, it was. It, it, I mean, it was a love letter we wrote to them, and like, and w- back to back to '90s Cal Arts days. You know, I was going there and, and bugging him about theme park design, and and Pete was going over and visiting with them and asking them about you know, asking Mark animation tips, right? Because mm-hmm. Pete's an animator. Yeah. So there was this kind of two track thing that, you know, so that's why it really made sense to to do this. But also, you know, Pete really had the political power to make this happen. And then and Pete getting, Doctor for for our listeners who may not know. The, oh, yeah. The, oh, I, I apologize. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Pete Doctor of Pixar fame and director of Soul and yep. Up and Monsters Incorporated and other amazing films. And look for him in Pixar every now. Pixar film, basically. Yeah. 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 But so, so Pete, so Pete was amazing. So Pete was instrumental. This book would have not happened if Pete hadn't called up Wendy Lefcon and said, I've got this great new book that we want to do. So, and then having Wendy behind it was, was incredible. And it, you know, how, how it got as big as it did is, is still flabbergasting to me. And then there's a million people I could thank, but, but especially I, I would want to give a, a big shout out to Vanessa Hunt uh, at the art library, uh, and the art collections team 
she and uh, Mike Jusco and Denise Brown, but but really Vanessa spearheaded. You know, she she set the look of the book, and then Paul Wolski, who's a really great designer, came in and and took it through because we wanted we decided let's make it look a little bit like a 1960s guidebook with very simple colors and blocks of color. If you look at some of the old Disneyland guidebooks especially on the back, they describe the attractions and they've got these blocks of color behind them. So we did that in the book, if you notice. Um, but, but not only did Vanessa set the style that, that Paul executed beautifully, uh, but then it was really important to me as an aficionado of Mark's Imagineering work, you know, in the nineties, they would, they would put out these, these art prints. Sometimes they were like big photographs yep. of them. Sometimes yeah. they were giclés. But the color was never quite, if you'd seen an original, the color was never quite there. The reproduction was never perfect. It was almost like a copy of a copy of a copy in some cases. It was really important to, to me and Pete that we, we got the art in the book as close to the original as possible. So Vanessa re-scanned every single piece of artwork you see in wow. that book. Wow. And that was a Herculean task. She was coming in on weekends. I mean, it, it just was crazy. So couldn't have done this without all the support of them and a lot of other people too. Well, and a lot of older shows. Imagineers I mean, and people, yeah, I mean, people like Wayne Jackson, who worked in Napo and, you know, basically took Mark's America Sings designs and made them mechanically real. If you remember how America Sings looked, those figures, it's because of people like Wayne Jackson, who yeah. worked really closely with Mark and Blaine Gibson, so, you know, to say, I want this look, I want this. And he engineered that stuff custom, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Or people like Orlando Ferrante, you know, who did a lot of managerial wed in the 60s and 70s and, you know, still was coming into Imagineering up until COVID. <laughs> you know, even though he was he's like, he's retired, he's not doing anything, but he kept a little office in the in the model shop at Imagineering. So so a lot of the and of course, people like Bob Gurr and Rolly Crump and, and a lot of the usual suspects, too. But it was really fun and gratifying for me to talk to some of these other people who work directly with Mark, because ultimately what we were trying to do is I told Pete doctor early on, I said, look, I don't want to write like a big essay about, you know, like no one wants to hear us talk about the glory of the 1964 New York world's fair. What they want to do is they want to be, they want to get in a time machine and they want to be a fly on the wall in Mark Davis's office while he's doing pirates wax museum sketches and Walt comes in and talks to him about it. Yeah. That's what we want to hear. So that's why it was so important to put it in Mark's words, but also the words of the people who were there at that time. And, and to you know? do that, you recorded Mark, right? You, you did a lot of Ooh. audio interviews with him. Uh, yes. when, when did that start? Was that something, you know, you, you mentioned that your relationship, your friendship with Mark and Alice started when you yeah. were what, 18 years old, something like that. Uh, I was 19, 19 years old. So at what point, uh, in your career, are you sitting down and saying, Hey Mark, let's give me an audio recitation of your life and your life's work. Well, that, that, that paper that I did it at at college. Yeah. I, I recorded him. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm, and I'm such a chowder head because I used audio cassette tapes that I had music (laughs) <laughs> already recorded onto because I was so cheap. I wouldn't pony up the extra buck and a half to buy a new Maxell cassette. 
right? So my recordings of Mark at that time are like in one channel, it's Mark going, well, Walt came in and he wasn't happy. And then on the other side, you're hearing tainted love. I was going to say, and yeah. then it cuts to, <laughs> to uh, you know, uh, just something by Journey, right? <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm a big 80s aficionado because that's my teenage years. But so, But yeah, so I started recording him then. And every so often I'd go, Mark, I want to ask you about the Western River expedition. Or, Mark, I want to talk to you about this thing and go, all right, kid, come on up. And so I'd come up and I'd, I'd record him. Also, um, I had him come lecture at CalArts a couple times. Mm -hmm. And so I, I actually have like videotapes of that oh, or wow. some audio tapes of that. And then when it came to the project, I just felt like, okay, I need to track down every interview that I can, both written and recorded, video and audio, and take the best of the best of the best so I can put this in his words because he's not with us anymore. Yeah. I can't ask him, you know, and it really kills me because some of the things I learned on this project, some of the things that I had no idea he did, things like, you know, he did a silly symphony's dark ride. He tried to get off the ground. He did this crazy show for monsanto with ray bradbury writing a script you know and the wow. only reason that's right and the only reason that script survived and we were able to kind of put that show back together in terms of matching it up with his concept art is because mark saved the script and put it in the art library wow um you know i i wish i could ask him about that there, there's a lot i wish i could ask him about um but so so that was the process was was taking and that's one of the reasons it took five years taking all those interviews transcribing them in a lot of cases and doing basically a massive word document where I'm, you know, where I'm like, okay, I'm working on, I'm working on the nature's wonderland chapter. Take every instance of, I could find him talking about nature's wonderland and I start putting it in little buckets and going, okay, well, he told the little story about the kit foxes, you know, one bouncing its head up and down and the other one bouncing its head left and right, making a tableau out of it. He told that story a million times. I have like every copy of that story that he told. <laughs> and then I, and then I pick the best one, right. The best telling of it, or in some cases he'll tell a story and he'll be really specific on one part on the front end. And then another time he'll be really specific on another part. I would put those together yeah. um, to just to put it in his own words. Um, and then, and then the other, you know, the other Imagineers that we had in there, You've got quote, you know, you've even got quotes from Mary Blair, which is really hard to find. You've got quotes from, you know, Claude Coates. You've got quotes from, you know, all kinds of people who, you know, Walt Disney, people who are still with us and people who are not with us. Yeah. And and my idea was, it's not enough just for Mark. To, he's Mark's talking about something, and maybe Mark's making a point about design or something, because this book is very design tutorial heavy, right? It's like there's a reason he made a lot of these choices, right? And in cases he would eloquate that. And then sometimes I would have like a Blaine Gibson quote that would back that up and say, Oh yeah, Mark talked to me about this or, Oh, you know, so it makes the idea is it makes you feel like you're in the room with them yeah. and having a conversation. In fact, I told Pete, I said, you know, all those times that we spent like in their living room and just kind of shooting the breeze and talking about and having them answer questions. We want to replicate the best day where Mark's memory is at his absolute best. And he's yeah. talking about everything about it's a small world, or he's talking about everything about the Ford magic skyway and everything he remembers about that. And then now add to that all the artwork that he did, you know, beautifully reproduced and now add to that photos, both that Mark and Alice took behind the scenes and photos that people have not seen before and photos of the attractions that really match up very specifically with the artwork he did. Cause especially in the pirates uh, chapter, 
I get a lot of, I want to take a photo. I want to take a photo that really matches the artwork as closely as possible because the staging, he was so particular about the staging. Um, I wanted to prove that, that what he designed is what they installed because, you know, these things change over the years. Sure, they, right. you know, they move things around, people reposition stuff. I mean, that to be frank, the way they've moved things around on the jungle cruise really bothers me because there's, there's things that he had designed in specific areas that worked really well. And maybe they don't work so well now when they've mm-hmm. been relocated to, but so anyway, so I just wanted to, I wanted to prove by showing and telling, but more, even more showing that he's probably one of the most important influential Imagineers underneath Walt Disney in terms of what we think of as the classic Disney shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I so, think, I think you've absolutely hit it out of the park. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think the book is a triumph and, and it well, is in you. some ways, it's very it's, nice of you to say, well, it's, but it's, it's well-earned, you know, I mean, it, that, that's the thing is that it, well, I guess uh, let me ask this obvious question because I, if mm. I'm thinking it, then I think a lot of our listeners are thinking it. D- okay. Did Mark help get you into uh, Imagineering? <laughs> no, not really? at all. He so he so he tried. Um, he he set up some interviews with me with with some of the people who did hiring with creative, and that did not work at all, <laughs> like at all. And one of the things you have to realize is, I'm going to say they get thousands of applications every month from people. And that was in the 90s. It's probably worse now. So whoever is handling the hiring for creative, I mean, I, I think I feel like at this point, unless you're someone who's known um, in the very small theme park design world, I think it's really hard to get your 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 toe in the crack to to kind of force your way in. Um, you really need someone at an executive level or, or, or at a level that has a lot of power to, to get you in the door. Hmm. And even I came and went from Disney three times, but I just even remember just getting hired back in for Shanghai Disneyland. It took me a year, you know, of finagling back and, and forth and talking to different people and seeing where I fit. You know, it was not like, wow. Oh yeah, we need you. Come in in two weeks. You know, it was it was like a whole it was a whole thing. And yeah, I gotta imagine not many point. people not many people have a on their uh, letter of recommendation from from like the the Godfather of Disneyland saying, "Ah, oh, you right, should take a but, look at this kid." Yeah, yeah, and 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 frankly, they only talked to me as a courtesy to him. Wow, you, you know, it was only it was you know, so they that so that didn't do anything for me at all. Um, and even I remember uh, Larry Nikolai telling me it took Larry Nikolai 12 years, I think he said, from the first time he applied until he got hired yeah. there. I think part of the secret is never give up. Um, but what was it? Oh, I think I think Larry had mentioned that Rolly Crump had got it. Oh, and I remember this. He had a copy of his portfolio that he gave to Tony Baxter at the time. And at some point, Tony was cleaning things out of his office and found Larry's like you know, at this point, 25 year old portfolio, which, you know, Larry's like, uh, don't look at these drawings. These are terrible. <laughs> you know, I think, I think he said, I, I don't want to be cursed by my old drawings, which I think every artist feels like, but no, that didn't work at all for me. What got me in actually was Larry Nikolai. So what, so what happened for me, I was at CalArts. I was studying character animation. I decided in my first year, I did not enjoy doing animation. I have great love and respect for people who can and do it well. And I had a lot of really, you know, influential people in, in my, um, in my freshman class, people like Craig McCracken and Gendy Taratovsky and 
other animators um, that I'm, I'm a big fan of and designers, conceptual people. Um, anyway, uh, but I just decided it wasn't for me and I decided I wanted to do theme park design, but I was really at a loss because I didn't know there was nowhere to go to learn it. How do you do it? How do you break in? And so I did tell Mark and Alice, I said, yeah, I'm going to drop out. And Alice Davis said, the hell you are. <laughs> and so Alice, when she went to Cal Arts used to be called Chenard before Walt Disney kind of turned it into the school it is today. And Alice went to Chenard and one of her classmates was the, uh, the, the head of my department of character animation, a man named Bob Winquist, who I, I love. Bob was this enigmatic, really interesting guy. Look him up sometime. Bob Winquist. Um, fascinating anyway alice called bob up and said chris merritt doesn't want to animate chris merritt wants to do theme park design so can you just let him stay and get his degree and come up with ideas for rides and he said sure he can do that <laughs> it's like it was just like that so i was like okay <laughs> so i spent my my next two years there coming up with ideas for rides and, and shows and so I, I did this captain nemo ride i called nemo the ultimate adventure and it did like models and storyboards and i got thorough ravenscroft um of tony the tiger fame oh, yeah you know just thorough ravenscroft just well okay so that <laughs> but it, okay but it was it was because i knew him because here in orange county we have this annual event called the pageant of the masters which is kind of this artwork come to life uh sort of a thing in laguna beach anyway it's a live performance and i was in it a couple of years i was in a thomas hart benton painting come to life and Thurl in the 80s used to do the live narration of it. So on my breaks, I would run up to the, the announcer booth where Thurl was doing his live narration. And I'd say, oh, you know, Mr. Ravenscroft, I love you in the Haunted Mansion, you know, and tell me about that and stuff. So I knew Thurl. So Thurl did the voiceovers for us. Oh uh, for the, we did a video. Yeah. And it's funny because there's some like, that you were on Tom Morris's paper route. It was it was, it was one or <laughs> yeah, the other. It probably was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I didn't know Tom till I got into WDI. Um, but, uh, I, I did this whole presentation, <clears throat> had some of the same people come out from Imagineering and looked at it. Oh, I was going to say this, the, the ride, I called it Nemo, the ultimate adventure, which is kind of dippy. Uh, but, um, there are fan sites that have gotten like bootleg copies of the audio reels for it and stuff. And have like put it out like, this is an undone Imagineering attraction. I'm like, no, it's like my college project, <laughs> you know, it's not, <laughs> But I think they think it's real because Thurl does the narration. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, what, whatever is cheesy about it, I think was probably smoothed over by the fact that you had yeah. Thurl doing the narration for it. Yeah, Some of it was most definitely cheesy. And in fact, yeah. I'll never forget, I had, every year CalArts has this thing called the producer show where they basically, all the studios come and see the best of the best of the student films and hire people, you know, based on that. I had a special room they set up for me with this whole Captain Nemo ride idea and I had models with black light and sound effects. And I had the video on a loop and all my concept art. And I'll never forget um, that some of the, uh, the people from Imagineering actually came out and, and looked at my work. And they were, they were incredibly critical of my model work and saying, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing, right? Yeah. But they were saying, Oh, you know, this, this, you know, this rock work is, is not very good at all. You need, I remember one lady saying, you need to romance your rock work. And I didn't know what that was. And, 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 and I said, like, lady, I'm 20 years old. Yeah. Like, right, right. I'm doing but, this but it, with paper mache right now. 
You need right. Michael and Douglas. I'm tr- and I'm trying. Well, yeah, and I'm trying to and I'm trying to figure out how do you get in? How do you how do you do this? But then, you know, but then she said, but your your concept art is fabulous. Your concept art is so wonderful. And I thought, okay. Then Mark and Alice came in to look at it, which, you know, it's like at CalArts having Mark and Alice Davis show up. It was like having rock stars show up. Sure. Mark and Alice come into my presentation room and look at it. And, you know, and Mark goes, well, a lot of these drawings leave a lot to be desired. The staging's <laughs> not very good here and all this. But your model work is exquisite. <laughs> that rock <laughs> and work I'm like, was romanticized. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, what do I do with that? Like, I have no idea. But one of the people who came and saw it, um, because I was friends with a gentleman named David Mumford, who co-wrote this really wonderful book called Disneyland The Nickel Tour. He was a longtime Imagineer, good friend of mine. He sadly passed away quite some time ago. But uh, Dave Mumford invited Larry Nikolai, who I did not know at that time. And I'd actually, well, just prior to this, I, I had lunch with him and got to know him. And I was like, wow, like you're a real Imagineer, like you're working on real projects. I think he was working on uh, Euro Disneyland at the time. Um, anyway, Larry came and saw my presentation and all that. And he said, he said, well, there's some really good things here. And I can see your thought process. And and he said, I know you're trying to break in. Um, I think what you you should do is, is try and get any little jobs that you can, because there are a lot of small companies in the Southern California area and elsewhere now too, that do little small mom and pop kind of theme park things. Or like there was a, um, there was a, uh, robot, a, a robotics company called AVG uh, that Larry worked for for a while. And so what would happen is people would call Larry up and say, well, can you do this one little design job? And he couldn't because he was at Imagineering. So you can't freelance in the theme park world when you work for the Disney company. So he would throw those jobs my way. So, you know, so when I graduated CalArts, it was this another, it was, you know, Beauty and the Beast had come out, Aladdin. There was this, this new renaissance of Disney animation and, and all these other 20-year-olds I was in school with we're dropping out early just to go make six figure incomes, like right out mm. the bat, you know, and, and, and you as know, animators, driving, you know, right. As animators. Yeah. yeah cause they, cause all the, cause all the studio, there were bidding wars, DreamWorks was starting. And, and so, and me dipped me, you know, I, I get my BFA, but I'm not an animator. So what I did was I, I moved back in with my parents and got a part-time job at Trader Joe's bagging groceries and took every single little theme park design job that I could that came along. And so Larry was really instrumental in feeding me those. So I was getting little bits of experience here and there and building my portfolio up a little bit. Cause that's one thing I think I give advice to younger people who want to do theme park design. And that's why I say, take any little job you can, because mm-hmm. number one, you don't know where it'll lead. Number two, you'll learn something from it. And, and people want to see actual real projects. They don't want to just see your idea for a chicken little ride or, or whatever. Like they don't, you know, they want to see, they want to see some real, they want to see that you have some real world experience. Well, that's really hard to get when you don't have any experience at all. So I took these little jobs here and there. And then at a certain point, it was, I think, 1995. Um, long story short, um, Larry was working on uh, Tokyo Disney Sea. And they made him the creative director of, of not just one of the rides, but the entire Arabian coast land. And so Larry called me up. He said, Hey, I know you really want to work here. And I know you want to be a show designer, 
Um, but we're doing this dark ride based on Sinbad and we've got our model crew like all set up except for we, they need one more person on the, on the model crew. So he said, if, if we were to bring you in, you would learn a lot. And it's kind of the traditional way to, to move up through the ranks at Imagineering, get, get your foot in the door. And I said, absolutely. I, I like, I'll win like tomorrow. Can I be there tomorrow? Yeah. Um, so that was really great for me. So again, this is, this is another thing that I think is really important for designers is, is to start at a low, I hate to say lower because the model shop is so important. Like the model shop fixes all the problems and figures things out. The model shop is, is where it's happening actually, but to start at the model shop and work your way up into something else, I think is really important. I think it's really good to see everything from every facet of, of, of the design process. So that's what I was able to do. And it's all thanks to Larry Nikolai. And then the other great thing was I had, I had also kind of made friends with Rolly Crump at that time. And I was pestering Rolly going, how do I get into Imagineering? You know, and he, I'll never forget. He had an avocado ranch in Fallbrook at the time. And I remember going out and visiting Rolly and, you know, and, and saying, I really want to get into Imagineering. How do I do it? And, you know, Rolly's career with Imagineering had a lot of ups and downs and he came and went several times and he said, all right, kid, you know, you want to hear my story? And he sat me down under an avocado tree and like burned my ears off with like all the, all the stories of all the humiliating things that he went through a lot of times in his career, you know, and, and all the political infighting. And also he was kind of like, he was kind of like Walt's favorite a little bit uh -huh. at the end. And yeah. a lot of people really resented him for that, you know, including Mark Davis. He also um, drove a so, motorcycle through a building one time. So, I mean, there's, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> they could have also had issues with that as well. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so he, he, he told me like every awful thing that ever happened to him. He's like, so you still want to do it kid? And I'm like, yeah, I do. So these are all things that I think, you know, people should be aware of that yeah. it is, that it is a difficult job, that it is, there are a lot of politics, especially where Disney is concerned. And, um, but there's politics everywhere you go and there's, you know, there, there's figuring things out. So I just think it's good to, to work your way up through the ranks. And so that's what I was able to do. And it's all thanks to Larry Nikolai. Let, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, well, I've been asking a lot of questions, Aaron, do you have anything you've been quiet? I know you're just taking this all in. Do you have any yeah. thoughts? Well, I want to make sure we and we talked about the book uh, a little bit, and so I didn't want to make I want to make sure we we button button that up. Yeah. So I was wondering to tell me a little bit you know, about what that's like. You've told it about a design book and all the things you hope artists get out of it, and people that are looking to get mm -hmm. into theme park design. But what did you get out of it personally? What's it like to go to become this this sort of hero of yours, uh, to become their biographer, and to become sort of a, a keeper of their history? And what's that like on yeah. a personal level to have that connection? And what has it meant to you to sort of to present this book to the world, not just as a book, as you described, full of tutorials, but there's a lot of, I sense from you a lot of protection of who Mark was and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Alice too. Um, I noticed that you say their names together a lot, which is amazing. I don't want Alice to get forgotten too. I mean, Alice is amazing designer too. I mean, she, she did all the costumes for it's a small world, yeah. like from scratch. She did all the costumes for pirates and all the costumes for carousel of progress. I, it's, it's, I'm going to get like very emotional just thinking about this because, you know, um, I can't thank them enough for spending the time they spent with me. And it wasn't just me and it wasn't just Pete. There are a lot of other students, mm. you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't have children, but they had students 
yeah. and artists and friends, you know, and a lot of other people like Andreas Deja who had a relationship yeah. with them and a lot of other people. And, and so they were, you know, you know, Mark was curmudgeonly as all get out, but I loved them. Mm. And because they spent the time with me and they saw something in me, I think that was worthwhile to spend time with. And <laughs> Alice fed me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you're a starving college student, that's, that's a good thing. And I had these amazing conversations with them, not just about, you know, working on theme park attractions, but just life and art and design. I mean, um, Mark made me my first martini. <laughs> I mean, I seriously, it was like 90% alcohol. I was, oh my gosh. Anyway. Um, it's from all that Tamil Shanter drinking. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> you that's, build up a that's their era. I mean, honestly, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you hear these stories about the, the original Imagineers and some of them, like you had to do your reviews with them in the morning because at lunch they'd have three, four cocktails and it was all over the rest of the day. <laughs> So his, his analysis stamina for that was, was pretty good. But anyway, I I just, it meant the world to me that they let me spend time with them, that they let me come pester them and ask them what probably was annoying questions (laughs) to them. And then just, and then just like Mark taking me back in his office, you know, one of the great things about this book is Mark didn't keep a lot from his animation days but he kept all his rough sketches from his time at Imagineering. So Mark's process was he would do rough little thumbnails, sometimes more finished, but a lot of times little thumbnails. And what's really cool about him is when you really study them, you see his thought process. So, you know, he'd go, you know, I'd say, well, Mark, you know, tell me, you know, tell me about country bear jamboree and you go, all right, kid, come on down. He had a little, he had a house, another house adjoining their main house and he had a little studio in there. He'd take me into his studio and he'd go in his back closet and he'd pull out these, you know, his, his roughs, his pencils that he kept and show them to me and talk to me about like one-on-one, like that was amazing to me. So it really impacted me deeply. And I I think it's probably because it goes back to as a little kid looking at that Pirates of the Caribbean sketchbook and copying those drawings and know like, that's kind of part of my DNA. Like it's part of like who, who made me, who I am. So to have that connection with that real person, it just meant the world to me. Of course. And I mean, they, they went to my graduation at CalArts, again, which is like having a rock star you know, <laughs> at your graduation. And my, my, my mother you know, said, said to Mark and Alice, I want to let you know how much Chris and we appreciate you coming to his graduation. And um, they said, well, we're honored we've never been invited to a graduation. Before, <laughs> That's you know? awesome. And it, it just, you know, it was, it was amazing. So, so there's a lot more I, I could say, but it really meant a lot to me. Yeah. So to, to, you know, to have the opportunity and again, thanks to Pete doctor and thanks to Wendy Lefcon to do this book in the way that we did in, in, in the enormity of it and, and, and the, and, you know, the amount of material that we were able to get in there. And I really do feel like the book reads like you're having a conversation with him. Um, It just meant so much to me. Um, So that touches me on this deep level. Um, Alice, you know, Alice is not in 
in the kind of shape where she can even really communicate yeah. anymore. Yeah. She's still with us, but she's, you know, she's up there. Yeah. And I felt really fortunate that Pete and I were able to spend a good amount of time with her. When I came back from China, that was the first thing we did was, was Pete and I and, and Pete's assistant and Vanessa Hunt. Um, we all went over to Alice's house and spent the day with her. And uh, Yvette Melvin, who's one of her caretakers and one of the uh, keepers of her estate, who's a wonderful lady too. And we spent the day talking with Alice about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. She was so supportive and she just turned the whole house over to us, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I spent, you know, weeks coming back and forth. I went through every room in the house. Mm -hmm. We found amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, I, I, Alice, you know, I said, Alice, you know, did Mark take photos behind the scenes of things? She goes, oh, I don't believe so. And then, you know, I'm opening a dresser drawer and I find like all these boxes of negatives. You know, he took all these photos and stuff. And so it, it, it just it just meant a lot to me that like, OK, you're going to get the chance to not only do this, but you're going to be trusted, you know, with, with these things, yeah. and how you present it, how you put it across. I was going to say it's such an honor that almost sounds like a cheesy cliche for me to say like, Oh, it's such an honor, but it is such an honor. And it just means a lot for me. So as we worked through this book, while holding down our day jobs, while, while I worked on the Tokyo expansion and while Pete worked on soul, I, you know, I, I wanted to show it to Alice. You know, I wanted to have a book. I, I, I wanted to like have the book in my hands and go over to Alice's house and hand it to her and mm -hmm. say, here, look, this is it. This is your story. And um, she, she was not at the point when, by the time we had the book printed, she was not at the point where she could, do, where she could do that. Yeah, yeah. But what I was able to do probably about six months before we went to print is I had the book on my iPad and I was able to sit with her you know, in her little bed and next to her, I'm going to start crying. And uh, I was able to sit next to her and go through the book with her on my iPad and show her everything. And it just meant the world to me and it yeah. meant the world to her, you know, and she was kind of crying and I was kind of crying and everyone was kind of crying. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I just felt like this is a really wonderful thing. And my only regret is that, you know, Mark was not alive to see it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's amazing. It is amazing. I'm going to tell you it's amazing. I'm not going to ask you a question. I'm going to tell you something. It, it, it's amazing <laughs> okay, that, that you you engaged with Mark Davis, and there's there's this level of trust that you had that he was going to lead you the right way and tell you things about design and how to get into the the career and all these things that that he trusted you. And then really right, at the same right. time, what was happening was that uh, you were trusting him and he was trusting you. That he didn't know that he was meeting with the man that would that would be the legacy keeper of him that would be entrusted for yeah. his own story. And there's just this very interesting thing that develops that there, there's a mutuality that trust. Well, that, yeah. it's because it's because Alice trusted us yeah. to do it. And, and to be honest, they, they wanted to do something like this for a long time. You know, they didn't, they weren't able to make it happen for whatever reason. Um, so to get to be able to do that, I just I just wish I could show it to Mark. Yeah. But then I, I also I also think like what would he say? Mark would probably Mark would probably rip me a new one on some of this stuff, or maybe <laughs> yeah. some of my essentials go, Oh, you yeah, you screwed up here, kid. Yeah. Actually, you didn't do that right. He's, he did not Mark did not suffer fools gladly and he did not mince words. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. There's but this, he was uh, but he was really he was really supportive too. They both yeah. were. So I just I'm so grateful we were able to do it. It's in print. People can read it. They can 
give themselves a, you know, break their back lifting it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's, 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 it's everything that I wanted it to be. So, People like you, what, what, I'll, what I'll call uh, a real Imagineer. We, we've talked to a few of them. They, they all. They, they, the, the, here's why I say that is, is they have this thing um, where it's almost hard to talk to them about an Imagineer because they're constantly referring to the thing that mentored them, the permission that they yeah. got to enter, yeah. the mentorship they had. There's almost this hesitancy, and that's why you're going to hate this question, um, is Ooh. that in my kids' eyes, you're not Mark Davis, but 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 you're somewhere deep in that story. When I tell them, I'm going to go talk to Christopher Merritt tonight, and he did this and that, mm-hmm. and look at this book he made, and look at the pictures. Mm-hmm. To my young mm-hmm. kids you are the the closest thing to that. And so by probably, you know, and, and people like you deflect this question into like, Oh no, no, I didn't, I didn't do anything. And, but you did. And you're now inserted into this deep place of, of real imaginary history of Disney history of mm-hmm. artist history. And I want to know if you'll accept that and how you feel about that as an artist. <laughs> I, do, I don't, I don't know if I can. It's, it's like you say, the first thing, you know, when you say that is like, no, 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 no. Like I can't like, you know, I, I did, you know, I did look, I, I did a lot of work at both Imagineering and Universal that I'm really proud of. Yeah. And, and I will, I will own that and I'll, and I'll be the first person, you know, if you want to ask me about, you know, the Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough or, um, the work I did on Shanghai Disneyland on Mickey Avenue or the, you know, the Kung Fu Panda dark ride that never made it or all these, these different projects. Yeah. I'll be the first person to take you through it and go, yeah, it was interesting. And we did this and then there's all kinds of stories about that stuff, but it's hard for me to, to toot my own horn too much because I, I think about people like Mark Davis. I think about yeah. people like Sam McKim and Rolly Crump and Mary Blair and Alice Davis and Harriet Byrne, you know, Har- I mean, there's another one. Harriet Burns was so sweet to me and so nice. I mean, she's like, you know, she's the first female Imagineer. I mean, she's like the second person Walt hired to start working on Disneyland. The sweetest, most nicest lady. I mean, I can't even, I mean, I, there's all kinds of stories I could tell. Yeah. So, 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 so when you say, Oh, like you're part of that story or whatever, that's, that's hard for I'm me. Sure. I'm sure it is. To put myself into because, because at the end of the day, cause I'm not working in theme park design right now. Right. I'm, I'm working in healthcare doing wacky ideas for things. Um, it's hard for me to, to put myself in, in that, in that story as part of it, because these other people loom so large. And at the end of the day, I'm just a big fan of this stuff. I grew up with it. I love it. I feel very lucky to have known some of the people and to have had some of the experiences I've had and what I hope and what I hope for in this book and the other books, you know, that I've done and am working on is that these are things that will inspire the next generation of theme park designers, the next generation of Imagineers um, and just artists and designers in general, because I know for me, it, it was interesting. I, I rewatched uh, Pete doctor's film soul the other night of all things. And just, you know, looking, looking at the, I mean, it's such an amazing film and, but looking at the difference but also these things go hand in hand between what your spark is and what your purpose is. Mm. And, you know, for, for me, there's a lot of things that are my spark (laughs) in my life. You know, my kids are my spark in my life. Uh, you know, um, all kinds of things. I love old records, you know, (laughs) that's a spark for me, but your purpose is sometimes a little harder to define. 
and, and sometimes your purpose gets lost in your spark. But what I hope is, is these sort of things in, in the books and, and learning about Mark and Alice and, and the work that they did and a lot of the other Imagineers too, I hope that it gives that spark to another generation of people. I hope that it gives that spark to people. I hope that it's, you know, people like yourselves who, you know, and myself and people like Tom Morris and, and others would, would love nothing better than just to sit around and talk about this stuff because yeah. it's exciting. It's interesting. It plays into your childhood memories, dumb stuff like <laughs> the mystery of the frogs in Florida's jungle cruise. Like, you know, like what, you know, what happened there? You know, Mark Davis designed these man-eating plants and then they got taken away. And why did they get taken away? I think actually, I think Dick Nunes canceled them. I didn't put that in the book. That's, that's, that's the rumor that like Dick Nunes hated the man-eating plants and he 86 them. Yeah. And so then Mark comes up with these frogs, right? But like he does these frogs that are the size of a, you know, golden retriever puppy or whatever, or even bigger than that, you know, and these big goofy frogs that were there for a time and then they were gone. But then people who grew up in Florida said, but they never turned the audio off. And so, so the frogs were like croaking, but the figures weren't there for many years. Like that kind of stuff's fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it so is. fascinating. Yeah. It's like, why? What happened there? And figuring it out, I call it, I call it, this is, this will take some explaining. I call it going down the Stouffer's rabbit hole. And what that is in relation to is when I was working on uh, the Tiki Room chapter, I was always extremely confused by the relationship that Stouffer's had with with wed and and disneyland because stouffer's sponsored some of the restaurants there early on but the whole deal was stouffer's you know there's a poster right stouffer's is going to have three attractions in disneyland and you know one of them is the plaza pavilion you know restaurant and then the other side is going to be the tahitian terrace so those are two restaurants they're going to operate and then the third restaurant is going to be the enchanted tiki room well you know I like, I'm like, how did that relationship work? Like what happened? And then like Stouffer's was there and then they weren't there because right. then they, 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 right. they, they, they become, so, you know, I spent all this time driving the poor people at the archives nuts. Cause they've got a lot of, you know, internal documents that they've saved from the negotiations and all that. And what it was is Stouffer's was mad. Stouffer's funded the R and D for the Tiki room birds, right. Under operating under the assumption that they were going to not have one, not have two, but three, full restaurant experiences in Disneyland. And then at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, the restaurant and the Tiki room is not going to really work. It's going to be a show. Sorry. You know, well, they end up operating the Tahitian Terrace for like six months. So actually like, you know, so any, anything from the Tahitian Terrace that has the Stouffer's stuff on it is really rare because it was only around for like six months. Anyway, the, the amount of ridiculous, stupid time I spent on going through documents on the Stouffer's stuff, I call it going down the Stouffer's rabbit hole, but you know, but, but right. So, so, but, but, you know, I, I love that. I love yeah. solving mysteries. I yeah. love trying to figure out because there's all these strange things that happen, you know, and, and people who are maybe there are not with us anymore. And so there's little mystery. It's like the hat box ghost thing. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, when the hat box ghost, you know, I was obsessed in the nineties. I was like, the hat box ghost, like, you know, like, cause I grew up with the children, the haunted mansion children's record. Like a lot of people did. Yep. And by the time I was writing the Haunted Mansion, the Hatbox Ghost sure wasn't there. And But he's in the children's record and they talk about him. And then like, so then you start looking at some of the old blueprints and they're like, well, he's supposed to be right there in the attic. There's a place for him right there. And what happened? Where the, you know, and I remember at that time talking with Tony Baxter, you know, early on, Tony Baxter was like, I don't think he was actually ever in there. And I'm like, I think he was, you know, and so <laughs> these arguments. Anyway, 
so I was, I was digging through, um, old photographs at the library and, and looking through old folders and a, a man who used to work there named Hugh Chitwood was bringing them out to me and showing them to me. And I was, I was looking at production photos, trying to find any existence of the Hatbox ghost. And Hugh, he goes, well, he goes here, Chris, this here, this here, he's really deep. So he's like, here, Chris, here's the last binder here. You know, if it's not in here. It doesn't exist. I'm like, okay. And literally on the second to last page of the last production binder, were these great full color production shots of the hat box. So these, these fit, they're everywhere on the internet now, but these beautiful, perfect shots of the hat box goes. I was like, Oh my God. It's like jackpot. So cool. You finally <laughs> found it. Right? It's like, yeah. yeah. So then, you know, so then, you know, we got Marty Scalar to give us permission to use it in the e-ticket. We did an article on it. The, there's an old e-ticket that has my whole thing on the hat box goes. And, you know, then I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, of course, like the hat was in like a scrim and then there was a little light inside. So, of course, that didn't, you know, work. Of course, they would have torn it out. And then just going around and trying to find people. Actually, the man I mentioned before, Wayne Jackson, uh, he actually built the Hatbox Ghost. And he said, oh, yeah, we built two of them because we built, you know, both shows simultaneously for Florida and California. And he said, yeah, it just didn't work. And we had to we had to tear it out, you know, after a couple of weeks and. And then we're like, well, we, you made two of them, right? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, where's the second one? He's like, because he, he said the first one was probably like stripped for parts. And we're like, well, where's the second one? So for a while, Dave Mumford was like calling Florida warehouses, like down on the property, like trying to find the second <laughs> hat box ghost. Never found them. Yeah. But mysteries like that, yeah. you know, I love. And then I was just always a big proponent of like, we should bring this guy back um and put him in and then you know and then daniel joseph like cracked the nut like yep. dan like figured out how to do it which is absolutely amazing and and the fact that dan insisted that the hatbox ghost not look like something different but look like the original right sculpt right right the original ga gag is close to what yale gracie would have wanted and the original sculpt that blaine gibson did based off the original drawings that mark davis did that was really, really cool to see yeah. that come full circle. So, yeah. So solving mysteries like that, I'm, I'm the world's biggest nerd about that. I love that. Yeah. And I, and there's that spark. It's interesting. It's weird. It's left field. It's unusual. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it, it's, it's something that betters your life. I think yeah. it's, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, it It's fun. And Yet at the same time, when you, to Aaron's point, when you get so close to it that you, uh, you physically touched it, right? Mm. Like that, mm. that elevates it to something else that, that elevates right. it to, um, right. from, from fun to, uh, something that you should treasure and that, that become that becomes a part of you sort of, you know, it becomes part of your DNA yeah. that way. And, yeah. and I think it's, I'm, I'm so happy to be able to speak with you about it because, to hear you explain it and to hear your passion and your love for it, it, it really transcends this, oh, I got this great opportunity. It's, it's this yeah. thing affected me. It changed who I yeah. am uh, yeah. and I'm a better person for it. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I think it's wonderful to listen yeah. to. You know, and I, you talk about touching something. I mean, I just feel like looking at Mark's original sketches, right? And realizing those were in his office in the 1960s. And Walt Disney came by and looked at those sketches and talked with him about them. And those turned into these attractions that millions of people love yeah. today. That makes my brain explode. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we feel that way every single time we, uh, you know, are, are able to get close to, 
uh, you know, close to the original Disneyland. You know, doing this show has just right. been such an, a wonderful experience for us to get close to the original Disneyland. And every single yeah. time we get just a little, we, if, every time we get a little taste to it, uh, it's one of those things where we just feel uh, Aaron and I call it nostalgia therapy. Like we work through this thing where it's like, we're, <laughs> try- like we're yeah. trying to understand why it's so important to us. Why, right. why this affects right. us so much. But I really think that that level of creativity and love and care and talent and doing what you've been created to do. I think it connects us to something greater than ourselves. I think it connects us to right. a higher power. I, I believe it connects us to a creator. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think, um, I think we are, we are doing what we're meant to do. And we we have this understanding that, that transcends, you know, our, our, our normal, the, the normal boring conversations we have in life because we're connecting to a higher purpose through a creative means. And I just think it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's yeah. a beautiful thing to share yeah. with people who also well, feel that. And I, and I think too, I think it's really important to pay it back to people because, you know, I remember for me in my young twenties kind of, you know, really being obsessed and interested in this and, and to have people, older than me who had, you know, who, who worked in the industry or did things and actually go to lunch with me and talk with me about this nerdy, stupid stuff. I'll still, you know, we'll go, go have lunch with Larry Nikolai or, uh, Chris Crump, uh, Rolly's son, who yep. I forgot to mention, who's one of my good friends. Chris, Chris was the, the, um, the head, um, the head, uh, production designer for uh, a lot of Arabian coast. And so I got to know Chris that way too, even though I knew his dad before then, Chris is one of my, my closest friends. I love Chris. So, you know, just going out to lunch and talking about nerdy stuff with yeah. those guys, or, you know, you talk about, and, and I think about, you know, back, back to soul and spark versus purpose, they can kind of be combined sometimes. But I think for me, if I was to try and put a button on purpose it's that sense of enthusiasm. So I could be talking about, I could be talking about eighties arcade video games that I okay. grew up with and I love, right. <laughs> That'll I be another be talk- hour for us. Yeah, just so you know, what? right. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm so sad. My temp, my tempest machine. I, I turned it on the other day and the, and the, you know, it's got those old CRT monitors yep. and the screen went all wavy and the smell like burning oil came out. And I was like, <laughs> right. So I got to get it. So I got it. So I unplugged it. I got to get it fixed. It didn't catch fire. But yeah, but you know, I'm like, I'm like, even though I don't play it that often, I like having it there and I like being able to play it when I can anyway. So, but you know, talking about these things, but with a sense of enthusiasm and talking with it, a sense about, Hey, I'm really passionate about this thing. I'm really interested in this thing. And if, if you've got a like-minded person you can share that with, I think that's, that, that's almost like a purpose because you're feeding that positive energy back to someone you are, and you, and you are reinforcing that you're like, you know what? you like something that's kind of nerdy. Well, guess what? I do too. And so it's not so nerdy. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. And it's yeah. actually pretty interesting. And let's talk about that for a half hour while we drink coffee. And, you know, I, you know, a very good friend of mine gave me um, a book. Uh, my son was looking at the other day, like, why do you have this? It's called uh, the Evergleam book. And it's a book on a company that made artificial Christmas trees, like in the fifties, sixties and seventies. And it's this obsessive, like it's every single like variant. And like, cause this guy like got into like buying them on eBay and like, he got obsessed and like, (laughs) I've got a document. (laughs) Right. Yeah. He went down the Stouffer's rabbit hole and, 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 and it's fascinating. And so my 16 year old was like, 
dad, why do you have this book? I'm like, it's the Evergreen book, man. It's yeah. like, it's the artificial why Christmas tree book. <laughs> and he's, he's like, yeah, but why? Like what? I'm like, because it's fascinating. Like they made all these variants and different colors. And there were, you know, Cadillac versions of these and smaller, you know, it's like, if you ever go to one of Charles Phoenix's amazing, um, you know, Southern California land slideshow presentations, it's all that kind of kitschy yeah, stuff. Right. I, I love that. Or yeah. books on... You know, there's a whole group of people who do what they call urban archaeology, where they sneak into abandoned, yeah. you know, the old the old abandoned hospital up the road, or you know, or or some some place, you know, or, or a, a burned out mansion somewhere, and taking these amazing photos of these things. Like, you know, that's fascinating to me. There's there's all kinds of things to to be fascinated about, and I think that's really life yeah. when, when you boil down to it. So, are you going to live your life? I'm sorry, you know, no offense to people who like McDonald's, but are you going to live your life eating McDonald's and and watching, you know, reruns of Friends all day long? Or are you going to be interested in different things? Are you going to explore? Are you going to get out of your comfort zone a little bit? Um, a, g- a good friend of mine uh, a couple of years ago uh, took me, uh, was visiting her in New York, and um, she took me to she loves theater, but she took me to this thing called sleep no more. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but, but just look it up if you can. But it's, it was, it's this amazing interactive experience. That's also theater that takes place in an old warehouse. And, and it's, it's based on Shakespearean plays, but it's, I can't even explain it, but Mm. sleep. No, it was amazing. Completely took me out of my comfort zone because you go into this space and it's like all these plays and all these rooms on multiple floors. You can wander freely. Like there's nothing, there's like no set, you know, like, so you're going in and out of these spaces and you're wearing almost like a plague doctor mask, oh, yeah. like a big white mask yeah, with yeah. kind of a beak on it. So everyone who's visiting just has that on and the actors don't. Anyway, it completely took me out of my comfort zone because what they like to do is they like to split people up. So I came in with her. I'm like, I don't know what's going on in this crazy thing. And you get in an elevator and mm-hmm. they like push me out on this floor. And I'm like going, but wait, I'm with, and they close the doors. And I was, and I had to wander on my own. Nope. It was amazing. I would <laughs> nope. never have wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But right. That was my first thought. Nope. What the heck? <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. It was incredible. It was kind of like, well, you guys, you guys are, well, you guys grew up here. It was kind of like Knott's scary farm, Halloween haunt. Yep. Going through a haunt maze but without people jumping out at you, but like just creepy stuff, weird. It's like this whole other world. I can't even explain it. Yeah. That's a, that's amazing to me. I could yeah. talk with someone about it. Who's experienced that for an hour. Easy. Thanks for sharing your, your passion and your interest with us. Like, uh, yeah. this is one of those things where if at some point we don't say we need to be done, we will be here right for, until the morning. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just am, I'm having such a wonderful time talking with you. It about does this. mean something oh, to us thanks. way beyond the podcast. I, I hope you can feel that and, and that you trust oh, and saying that it, it means something yeah. to Scott and I way beyond way beyond listeners view, whatever it is. We don't, I, we, I mean, you care about that stuff at some level, but I really, really don't. It, yeah. it really means yeah. something to me as a dad and as a creator and as a resident of California and a student of, yeah. of Southern California history. And that, well, time that's of why, life. I mean, that's not, that's not why we do this stuff. Right. Totally. Like, I right. mean, yeah, there's there's like there's no money in books yeah. dave mumford told me that in the 90s yeah because when i was trying to do my first book on knott's berry farm and i was talking to dave about it he's like 
yeah, go ahead. But just, you know, there's, I, there's no money in it and I'm not going to pay for it. And I'm like, okay, fine. But you know, and it's not why we do these things. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's more to life than, than money. There's, there's, there's relationships and there's experiences and there's things that plus your life. And yeah. so I'm very much invested in things that, that, that plus your life yeah. in an interesting way. So if that is reading the Evergreen book and knowing more than any human being should know yeah. about aluminum Christmas trees from the sixties that, you know, then so be it. It's, it's <laughs> you, you know, I mean, there's, there's a million things you can, you can talk about and be interested in. Uh, but I, but I think that the purpose thing is, is sharing that with other people in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to, I just want, I wanted to end with telling you that it, it does matter. I don't know that I can put that mattering into words, but before we started podcasting, mm. there was just this time we had of talking about like, where is, where is Disneyland going? Is some of that becoming lost? And do people really care about that anymore? Sure. They really, sure. really, yeah. really do. People like it's Scott. Y- 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 yes. Yes. To both of those questions. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and yet there are people that are, that are trying to figure out how to pass that down to our youngsters to remind them that there is mm. this thing called magic and there is this thing called nostalgia and there's sure. this thing called community. And when those things sure. come together, uh, there, there is a sense of being alive that's unlike anything else. And so I just, I wanted to tell you, it does matter. Your work yeah. does matter. I've been through your work. Right. I've seen your work without knowing who you right. are and been like, there's something different about this. Yeah. Like there's something different wow. about this. It makes me want to linger. Well, it's nice a of you bit. to say. That's yeah, nice you don't take you compliments very well. That's okay. You don't have to take the compliment. <laughs> We're still going to give it to you. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I just don't want it. You know, it, it's, it's, I, I always get hesitant. You know, I see how do I put this? I see a lot of people on social media and I like everyone and probably on social media more than it's healthy to be, but I see a lot of people doing self promotion of just themselves as a brand, but maybe I've been guilty of that myself too. But so that's why I'm like, I'm I'm like, well, you know, it's nice of you to say, but don't like make my head too big. (laughs) And I, but I, but I appreciate, but I appreciate that because both with my books and, and the attractions and things I've worked on, I've I've put every fiber of my being into them to my detriment sometimes. So I, I appreciate that. Let me just give you one more compliment. The, the, the knots, the title of the Knott's Berry Farm book, how stoked were you on that? Well, you know, Come but on. I can't take cre- <laughs> no- I can't take credit for oh, that no. because no, Bruce, here here's a newsflash. Bruce Gordon came up with that. Okay, uh, the other the other half of the Nickel Tour. Bruce is also not with us anymore. He's a another delightful curmudgeon. Um, but uh, Bruce Bruce helped me out. So when I was working on the Knots book, which is a whole lot we can talk about some other time, which is called Knots Preserved. It's called Knots Preserved. And Bruce said early on, Bruce, he of he of the terrible pun, uh, said you should call this Knots Preserves, you know, because playing on the, yeah, no, the jams yeah, of course, and jellies. Of course. And and then my and then my publisher on the book said, no, we should call it Knots Preserved, yeah, because it's a play on that, and you're doing it. Yeah. But, but Bruce really came up with it's, that. It's one and of I thought, it's I a brilliant it name. Cheesy. It is. I thought it was cheesy at first, but then now I love it. No, oh, it's great. To. I read it's it great. and I was just like, darn it, that's the right one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Chris, read, read, the, read the nickel tour if you can get your yeah, hands on we a copy. Will. That's, that's we will. You've given us lots of research to do. I'm going to start with Christmas Jeez. trees. Yeah, we're gonna we're oh gonna that's gosh. our next podcast. We're yeah. gonna shut this one down. Open up uh, s- kitschy Christmas trees. Yeah. Ever Evergleam. Yeah, or just <laughs> look, just watch one of Charles Phoenix's slideshow video podcasts because they're yeah oh my gosh that's like time warping actually nothing's better than than going to a live theater and seeing charles do it himself because charles is like his own i don't know how much you know if you know about charles he's i love charles he's a great guy 
Anyway, well, Chris, thanks so much yeah, for I mean for your time. You've been so generous with your time tonight, and we've had such a great sure. discussion. I mean, I, honestly, I, I think we could come back and do this again. I hope you'd be uh, encouraged to come back and do it again. We'll just have a great sure. conversation. Yeah. Maybe we'll we'll yeah. hit Christmas trees and arcade video eighties eighties yes, arcade games. Uh, and yeah, we'll, have, well, I'll I'll will come back when we finally get the uh, Knott's Berry Tales book. Perfect. Uh, there you go. Perfect. Out and published. I'm still working on my first draft. It's it's killing me because this new job has got me so busy. But um, we we will get there eventually. So well, we can't wait to talk yeah. with you about it. Thanks so much for your time yeah, tonight. All right. Thank you. And, right, uh, thank you. and uh, I I don't know I don't know how else to say other than just <laughs> we'll, thank, we'll thank you. We'll meet you at the Tamashant in a little while. That's right. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, right. You, you yeah, can make yeah. some of those Mark Davis martinis. How's that <laughs> sound? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're 20, and he's just like, yeah, just pouring this <laughs> no, thing, fine. and you Go have one, and you're on the floor, and he's working on his fourth one or whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm like, how did you? How did you? How did you stay alive? How did you? I can't have a drink at lunch and, and yeah. come back and do any work. Yeah, they sort of tell you not to yeah, do that. Yeah, he's like, I can't have a drink at lunch. I need yeah, four. Yeah, they're like, they're like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> That generation. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. You have a great night. No problem. What's up, man? How'd it go? Oh, my gosh. You know, we get into these things where we start talking with Imagineers and we think, like, okay, what? We know what we're going to talk with them yeah, about. Yeah, I got a couple questions. I didn't couple get questions. to any of them. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, it's just like they're so generous with their time and open bookness. You're just like, okay, so it's, are we are, are we going to have like a weekend together? Because yeah, it feels like we should I have need. a weekend it, together. It's the weirdest thing. This has happened several times. Doesn't happen every time, but it's happened several times, and it is it is becoming the sole reason I do this show <laughs> is that these these people people like Chris they they open this portal. Yeah. To this time where, where I was going to say like every, every day is once in a lifetime. Every day only happens once. And right. these people open this portal to these days that I think you and I both would have liked to have been a fly on the wall. We both would have liked to live. We both would have. I, I'd settle for going through Mark Davis's old house and looking at original hand drawn stuff. Oh my stuff. gosh. It's amazing. And they open this portal where you just like everything goes out the window and you're just like feed, tell feed me, me that everything. Day. Yeah, tell me how you me felt that day. that day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it is it is vicarious living, right? Yeah. I mean, it is this thing of like, oh, I can't believe you got to do that. I'm so yeah, happy for you to do day. that. Tell me all about it. And th- and then you just want to live in that moment. Yeah. And uh, and again, when you talk with a guy like Chris, where it had a profound impact on his life. Yeah. It had a profound impact on his professional life, but yeah. also on his personal life. Yeah. I mean, I heard so many shades of a paternal relationship mm-hmm. there. You know, we are, we are blessed in our lives to have biological fathers. Oh, I thought you were going to say each other. And each other, uh, but then you know you also have spiritual fathers right. and you have creative fathers and yeah. like and those people that just go, I see something in you and mothers, and mothers. Yeah, but I'm talking about the relationship between, I guess now we're talking about Mark and Alice, and Mark and Alice, yeah, and and in their relationship with with Chris, and yeah. it's just like it's so touching to yeah. hear him appreciate what that was yeah. and uh, and and to be able to to be with him during that time. Special to a guy like me, yeah. who will never have that experience. Totally, yeah. Same, yeah. same with me as a as an as an artist to hear somebody talk about that and go like, but no, you're you're what all of us dream of becoming. And he's like, no, I don't really want to talk about me. Let me talk about this other stuff. Know, but I'm like, it's it's amazing to me. It really and, is. And it is it is one of the the things I can't believe we get to do, and I can't believe that I get to go home and tell my my daughter, uh, like, get a load of this. 
Yeah, who are they're just starting their artistic yeah. journey. They 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 don't they know Walt Disney was a real person, but it's less real for them than it is for me, and it's less real for me than it is for Chris, and it's less real for Chris than it is for Mark. And so there's this lineage of passing yeah. down this artistic and this creative magic creating thing, and it, it's a it's a really it's a blessing to me to, to now get home, go home and be like I just talked to this guy, settle in. Yeah. <laughs> well, settle in indeed. Yeah. Uh, but not for the rest of this episode because we're we're wrapping this this puppy yeah, up. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to talking to Chris again. I want to talk more about knots, man, because I I, I want to get into his love for knots and and some of the other stuff that he's done that's not Disney related. What yeah. he did at Universal, I would love to to know all that stuff. We'll so. get we'll we'll have him on the show again yeah. soon. So again, for anybody who's listening, Mark Davis, in his own words, is the name of the book. It is in a, a beautiful, magnificent two volume set written by Chris and Pete Doctor. It is a love letter. Uh, to a very, very just wonderful and influential couple uh, in Disney history. If you are interested in any of this stuff, you absolutely would be benefited by picking this up. And that is not, uh, that is my my honest opinion. That is not me shilling here. I know it's your honest opinion because I've been hanging out with you. I've been over to your house and, and I, you carry this book just at your side now, like a blaster. <laughs> I do, I do. Well, I'm also trying to build my biceps oh, okay. up. okay. I didn't yeah, know I'm trying, I'm trying to get my reps in. Yeah, I didn't know it was gun related. It's gun related yeah. and uh, and it, it's, it's blaster related yeah. as well. It has yeah. it has been everywhere you have been for the for the last couple of it's weeks. It's amazing. It's yeah. an amazing book and and yes, I, I encourage anybody who's slightly interested to take a look at it and pick it up. I guess that's the end of the show. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. This has been uh, Bob says and Banthas. We love making this show. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode, especially we can be heard each week, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, you know, wherever you listen. And we can also be heard on the magic of the mouse radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. We would love it. If you followed us on Apple podcasts and left us a review, it really helps us, f- uh, know what you like about the show and also find out or have other people discover the show. I'm 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 all I'm all a flutter so, yeah, after this okay. conversation. So, I'm, right? I'm tongue tied and, yeah. and just a little starstruck right now. Yeah. Uh, please be sure to follow us uh, on Instagram. We're at Bob Says and Banthas. You can support us on Patreon. You can wear us on T Public. And if anything, just join us next week, where we're going to be talking about something fantastic. Yeah, something amazing. Something amazing. Until that time, he's been Aaron. Oh, half a martini for me, please. And I've been Scott. I'll take three and a half. <laughs> And we've been Bosles and Banthas. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom Disneyland is growing every day. This Saturday night. Now there are more new rides for more fun. In the electro synthomagnetic musical sound. Through the magic of light and sound. Yes, there's more fun at Disneyland in Anaheim. Open every day, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done.